BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This episode of The Bay was taped during our live event last week. To see the whole interview and some Q&A at the end, check out the link in our show notes. Election day is in less than six months, and normally you'd start to see all the familiar things that come with campaign season. You'd see the town hall meetings, you'd see those big speeches, people on the street getting signatures for an issue that they care about. Of course, thanks to the pandemic, all that in-person stuff is now off the table. So how is this all going to work? This fall, Californians are going to be voting on a lot of things. Yeah, there's the president and the house, but there's also state and local races. And of course, there are ballot measures too. If ever there was a time that you could look at who your elected leaders were and understand why it matters, it's this moment. Today, what campaigning and voting will look like in 2020. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Every four years, we see a sort of exodus, at least a temporary one, of Californians to other neighboring states that are basically more purple, tend to be more important in the electoral map. And so as the West is changing, too, we're seeing more and more of that. 
Marisa Lagos is a politics correspondent for KQED. She also co-hosts the Political Breakdown podcast. And this temporary exodus she's talking about is Democrats who drive, fly, or bus out to neighboring states like Nevada or Arizona in order to campaign for candidates in those states. Marisa has been following one of these volunteers for weeks now. Her name is Patricia Suflita Wilson. I went over to her house two days after the primary, so March 5th. She's actually, if folks have been in the Bay for a while, the one who put together the Bat Kid um, whole thing with Make-A-Wish Foundation a few years ago. Yeah, that was her, huh? Yeah, so she's a really interesting woman. And she had just decided after 2016 she needed to do more. I read, I think on Twitter, I think it was in December, and somebody commented going, I wish a bunch of Californians would just move to some of the swing states. And I read that and thought, I could actually do that. Um, she was packing up. She was getting ready. Her kids have, you know, are out of the house. She's divorced. And then COVID hit. Since the pandemic started, the entire ecosystem of campaigning and the elections process has been completely turned on its head. Earlier this month, Marisa checked back in with Patricia to understand how COVID-19 changed her plans. Hi, happy birthday. Oh my goodness, aren't you sweet? Look at you looking at my Facebook page. <laughs> well, you know what else I remember, well, I got the like, notification, but I also remembered because you said to me in our first conversation, oh, I hope I'll be in Arizona by my birthday. Oh my God, did I really say that? Oh, look at that. <laughs> so bad. different then, right? I know. And so now she's actually staying in a temporary home. Um, Her house is on the market here. It's a little unclear, you know, when she can go to Arizona. But I think she's indicative of a lot of Californians, Democrats, who really feel like the biggest mark they can make on this presidential election and the Senate races um, are going to be in other states, especially these Sunbelt states nearby. I've been talking to a lot of consultants about this on both sides of the aisle. I mean, this is the moment after the primaries, especially given the fact that Biden wrapped it up way sooner than everybody would have thought, that a lot of the local races, the legislative races, the city officials, county officials would be spending this time to organize, to to get volunteers into their sort of Rolodexes, to date myself there, um, you know, (laughs) to spend the time starting to do the phone banking and kind of laying the groundwork both on fundraising and on kind of get out the vote so that when it comes down to the wire in the fall, they know who they're calling. They know who their volunteer base is. They know how to organize. A lot of the behind the scenes work that especially these smaller campaigns really need to do is just being challenged. So there are a couple of things voters are asked to consider during elections, right? People, candidates, and issues. And I want to start with the people and how that's changed. So how are politicians campaigning now that they can't go to places in person? The thing I've heard, and this is mostly from Democrats, but I think you've seen it to some extent with Republicans, is that if you are not an incumbent right now and you can't have in-person events and you can't be doing, you know, door knocks with volunteers and fundraisers and selfie lines, you're thinking about how to break through. Like if you're Trump or Gavin Newsom or even, you know, London Breed or, you know, 
city council members and you're in office right now, there's a lot of ways to be visible, to be out there and saying we're helping the community. This is what we're doing. If you're not an incumbent, how do you do that? It's really hard. I mean, you know, this is unknown territory for a lot of us. Matt Shoup is this young Republican consultant. This is the very critical ramp up time. This is when you do aggressive fundraising and infrastructure building. You start recruiting volunteers and you, you know, you raise funds so that, you know, you can make the really strong push, you know, in the last couple months. He was saying in some ways, very similar things to the Democrats, which is like, we're just trying to get creative and not stress out too much about the fact that we aren't doing the things we would normally be doing right now. Like I said, if you start talking about traditional issues like transportation or education or healthcare or, you know, any, any other issue, all of those things are being affected right now. And I, I, I told all of my, I sent a memo out to my candidates. I said, look, all the polling we did, all the content we generated, you know, everything we've done is pretty much obsolete now. Consultants are telling them to pivot these candidates to say, not just, you know, I hope you vote for me and, and are you interested, but how can I help you? This is a really un uncertain time. And do you need meals delivered? Do you need support in other ways? They're kind of trying to almost take on the mantle of being an elected official now to prove that they have the medal to do it in November. Because it's so important for candidates to get FaceTime with people in the public, how are they doing that? How are they making it work? Zoom, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're looking at it, like right? Us. Welcome uh, to, to all of our candidates, and we'll give them the opportunity to speak uh, and introduce themselves here in, in just a moment. Can I ask you this question? Are those virtual events awkward at all for politicians? Yeah, I think it's super awkward. I mean, look, I love politics and one of my least favorite things to do in person is to moderate a candidate debate or discussion. That's gotta be awkward, yeah. <laughs> you just, you can't win, right? Someone's gonna be mad at you no matter what you do or don't do. It's just like the most thankless job. And so like, that's if you're in person and you can give people nonverbal cues yeah. and and just being next to somebody, like they feel a different type of pressure to stop talking sometimes or to do things. Um, so yeah, I think it's absolutely gonna be challenging. And I think like, I mean, the big one would be like, can you imagine like Trump and Biden debating on Zoom? <laughs> so we don't have the opportunity to really applaud everyone, uh, which they certainly deserve. But I'd encourage you if you, have, if you wanna give a thumbs up, or you want to clap, maybe use the reaction feature. So uh, I think we can give Audrey- Common wisdom right now is that this is, it's a better time to run if you're an incumbent. But I would think the big asterisk is if you're an incumbent and people think you've done a good job handling this. Now I want to talk about some of the issues that might be on the ballot. In what ways has the pandemic shaped or could shape what issues might show up on our ballots? So even before the pandemic was really sort of clear how much it was going to impact us here, there had been, um, I think, some sort of storm clouds brewing for Democrats who had hoped to, well, they've qualified. It's on the ballot. We'll see if they keep it there. Uh, but to, to put this measure forward, they would essentially amend Prop 13. That is our 1978 uh, property tax cap, which essentially right. says if somebody stays in a house or a commercial business, or the ownership doesn't change dramatically, um, that your tax rates stay the same, your assessment stays where it was when you bought the place. I think until um, 
March, there was a sense that it had a pretty good chance of passing. Um, but then even before the pandemic in, in the Super Tuesday primary here, we saw a statewide bond measure, also known as Prop 13, fail. And about half, I think, of the other bond measures, local bond measures around the state, um, and property tax hikes fail. And so that has sent a signal to the Democrats running this ballot measure that even before COVID-19, the appetite may have been slightly changing for these tax hikes. And I think it's going to make it even tougher. But it's also going to be the time where local governments especially are saying we need this the most because they're not going to want to lay off firefighters and police officers and teachers. Right. Um, that to me is sort of the biggest question going into the November is like, what is the appetite of voters for spending for cuts for how we handle this $54 billion budget deficit. I mean, yes, yeah, so much has changed in the past couple of weeks. I imagine voters' priorities are going to be shaped by what they're seeing happening in their communities during this pandemic. I mean, absolutely, right? Like, this is going to sound kind of crass, but like, if you look at the numbers, like, who tends to skew for? Democrats is black and brown people who are disproportionately being affected by this pandemic. Right. Who tends to really stick with the Republicans? Older Americans who are also very vulnerable in this pandemic. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. that like there's like sheer questions about how many people die in the next few months and what that means for turnout and for people's abilities to get to the polls. Um, obviously, how that impacts how they view politics and politicians and what they think we need right now. There's sort of this irony right now that, you know, Trump in polls is now seen as sort of he's the incumbent. He's the system, right, that he ran against. Biden, having been in politics for longer than any of us have been alive, is now kind of the outsider. Um, and so to think about yeah. how quickly that flipped, like you can see how the next few months, given how uncertain things are, it could just be really, really hard as a consultant, for example, or a candidate to gauge now what people are going to want in six months. Do you know how the pandemic might physically change the process of voting in November? Some two thirds of Californians already get ballots in the mail. Um, they don't all return them. <laughs> they don't. They don't all vote. But um, the governor just recently signed an executive order, essentially saying everyone will be getting a vote by mail ballot. There's a lot of concern and anxiety uh, around uh, this November's election in terms of making sure that you can conduct yourself in a safe way. If you know a miracle doesn't happen and we're not in a pretty different situation by the fall with with coronavirus, I think that. We're going to see um, a real push to get people to turn in those ballots early. And giving them the opportunity and giving them the choice uh, not to feel like they have to go into a concentrated, dense environment where their health may be at risk, but provide an additional asset and additional resources by way of voting by mail. We're going to see definitely still some in-person voting, but a real effort by local and state officials to discourage people from using that. I have real big questions about how across this nation we're going to attract poll workers who disproportionately tend to be retired folks who have the time to do that job. At this point, has, has California shown a lot of concern for access to voting in November? Or are they still kind of in emergency mode? I don't want to say like we don't have challenges here, but honestly, compared to most other states, like we're so far ahead of the game. So many people are already getting mail ballots. So many counties have already embraced this. Um, 
I really worry about places like Georgia, where you already saw massive voter suppression, um, places where, you know, it's already normal to be waiting in line. Um, although LA, I think, is going to be a challenge. Right. Yeah. Is there any precedent that helps explain how hard it's going to be to do mail-in ballots for California and, and get a decent number of people voting? It's probably going to be tough to get the same people to vote under this scenario as it was under any scenario. The question is motivation, right? Like for Democrats, the question is going to be not just are you mad at Trump? You know, we've seen a lot of polling on this, especially for like Latinos and and, and groups who maybe disproportionately don't vote um, as, as much as, you know, the percentage they represent in our population. But like, what are Democrats offering them to make them excited about it? Um, Because just being mad isn't usually enough. Everyone's having these conversations. And and I think they're just starting in some ways, because I feel like the first couple of months of this have been like just triage. And now we're all starting to look forward and go, oh, we need to figure out ways to like materially change the way we operate. What I find interesting is like, it is hard to come up with answers right now. And this is something that you've been reporting on for years. Like, you know, generally where we are in the election process right now. Part of the story, I feel like, is not knowing what's going to be happening in November and how chaotic that is to, you know, to the trust that's needed to go vote. Totally. And I think the responsible thing for, you know, elected officials and public servants to be doing is what I've personally seen them doing, which is to plan as if we're going to be in the same situation we are now. What's the biggest thing on your mind right now over the next few months? Um, how to do my job and homeschool my kids. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, if ever there was a time that you could look at who your elected leaders were and understand why it matters who they are, what they believe, how they, you know, how they react to things. It's this moment. And so I think sort of trying to keep that in our minds while we also try to keep abreast of like all of the crazy news of the day, whether it's coronavirus related or the fallout from coronavirus related. um, Those are the things I'm sort of trying to juggle. A lot can happen between now and November that can affect voting by mail in California. One big question is what'll happen to the U.S. Postal Service, which is in deep trouble and could run out of money as early as this summer. To follow what's happening in California and the Bay Area leading up to November, check out kqed.org slash elections. Marisa Lagos is a politics correspondent for KQED. She also co-hosts the Political Breakdown podcast with Scott Schaefer. Thanks to her and everybody else who came out to this virtual live taping. If you want to hear that full, unedited conversation with Q&A, check out the link to the recording in our show notes. I also want to thank the other folks at KQED who helped with this taping, especially Ryan Davis, Kiana Mogadam, Carly Severn, and Jessica Blachek. The Bay is produced by Eric Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you Wednesday. Personally, like I'm permanent registered vote by mail, but I get my ballot and I like hold it and love it. And then like I drop it off at the voting place on Election Day. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.